Hey, what's up guys? It's Michael from The Honest Youth Pastor, and today I want to talk to you about three things the church needs to change in order to improve the conversation with the LGBTQ community. Let's go. Before we get too far into this video, I want to mention that there will be links in the description below, both to the video book overviews I did on the books I mentioned in this video, as well as a few different links to resources that I reference in this video. So that will be down there for your further research and study and just to verify uh, what I'm saying. Also, as I go through this video, you're going to see me look down at my screen. Uh, that is because I have sort of a structure of notes to keep this conversation on topic and to make sure it's as coherent as possible because it is is an important discussion um, and I don't want to kind of get off topic as we talk about it. So as we get into this, I think we all need to acknowledge there is a point in which what we know the Bible says about homosexuality comes in contact with the reality of somebody we know uh, or maybe ourselves uh, and the topic of homosexuality. So there's, there's a point in which all of us heard about how the Bible talks about homosexuality. Maybe it was a pastor that preached a sermon from the pulpit. Uh, maybe it was a youth group uh, that you were in at some point and the topic came up. Uh, maybe you've never gone to church and your only interaction with what Christians believe about homosexuality was from somebody that was uh, a friend of yours or a coworker that goes to church and then that topic came up and now your understanding of homosexuality and the Bible comes from that person. Like regardless, at some point, we all entered into this conversation from a knowledge standpoint. Um, and then there's another point in which we all interacted with this conversation from a very personal standpoint. Maybe uh, one of our friends, maybe one of our family members, maybe a coworker uh, that we know identified or identifies as same-sex attracted. And now we have to take that information of somebody we love or we know, uh, and we have to pair that with what we've been taught uh, in regards to scripture and homosexuality. And sometimes those can be a little messy. Um, I know for me growing up, uh, we had heard about it from a, a number of different things, a number of different sermons as well as youth group stuff. And then one of my friends came out as same-sex attracted. And I had to try to figure out how do these two things go together? Uh, and he had to figure out how do these two things go together? Um, there were a lot of interesting conversations that came from that, a lot of internal struggle, especially on his part for, that came from that to try to figure out how does his faith and his sexuality, how does that go together? Um, because like most of us, I grew up within a church and within a tradition that said homosexuality was a sin. Now, before we go too far further into this, I think it is important to note that as a church, by and large, we've not done a great job uh, interacting with uh, the people within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, you wouldn't have to go very far, like there wouldn't have to be very many searches done on Google to find people that have either been kicked out of their home or kicked out of their churches or, I mean, some of them have been through conversion therapy and are still dealing with the residual effects of that. Like it's, it's been harmful in some ways, uh, in many ways. And I think for our part in that, we would have to, we have to be, uh, you know, we have to repent of that. We have to ask for forgiveness in that. We have to seek to make things right. Because oftentimes, especially in the issue of conversion therapy, the church sought out worldly means in order to deal with a, a sinful internal problem. Um, and what I mean by that is that we know scripturally that it's the Holy Spirit that changes our hearts and our minds. 
Um, we know that there's there's no way we can will ourselves into uh, you know not becoming sinners. It's the Holy Spirit that does that, and especially just in the instance of conversion therapy, we the church turned to the world and said, okay, well, how do you you know get somebody out out of alcoholism? How do you get somebody to break habits? And we took those means and tried to apply them in a scriptural way, and that just doesn't work. Um, and we can see that it doesn't work. It left a lot of residual effects on that. Now, part of us doing it really, really poorly has led to sort of a reaction to the reaction, if that makes sense. So the church reacted to this, this, uh, this topic that came up within the church as far as homosexuality and Christians, and they reacted in a way that wasn't the best in some regards. And then now what we see is sort of the reaction to the reaction in which we have theologians and pastors and congregants uh, looking at ways to say, well, this homosexuality actually a sin then. Um, this two great examples of that are Matthew Vines's book, God and the Gay Christian, as well as Colby Martin's book, Unclobbered. Uh, both of those books uh, take the verses interweaved with each of their stories and, and look at the verses and say, okay, well, contextually, culturally, do these verses actually say homosexuality is a sin? Now, one of the traps that I think Matthew and Colby both fall into is, this, is the ironically the same trap that those that came before them fell into when they used them to simply hit people over the head and say, you're a sinner, this proves it. Um, Colby and, uh, and, and Matthew fall into the same trap as those that came before, not looking at the overarching story of the Bible and how God designed men and women. Uh, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I think both Jackie and Christopher in their books deal with this really well. Um, but the church didn't really, when, when we were first talking about the LGBTQ plus community, didn't address it from a, a, a holistic biblical uh, story. We, we took particular verses that I think in a great part do actually condemn homosexuality, but we took just those and didn't tell the overarching story of God's plan for both men and women and why that was complementary, how that works out, why that's how God has designed us, uh, and how that actually goes forth in, 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 in making the gospel go forth throughout the earth. Uh, we just overlooked that. Uh, both in Matthew and Colby's book, neither address the orthodox view, view and position on homosexuality. Both of them do uh, address the verses in the Old Testament that talk about homosexuality, but they only look at the culture and the context and not uh, at all uh, the overarching story of the Old Testament, nor do either one of them address the orthodox view, uh, Jewish perception on homosexuality. Um, now, I think it is important to note as we talk about this, that just as within Christianity and how we have conservative Christianity, evangelical Christianity, progressive Christianity, uh, Judaism has the same sort of breakdown. There's Orthodox Judaism, there's middle of the line Judaism, there is liberal Judaism. Uh, and Orthodox Judaism would, would come into the same line as conservative Christianity in regards to Orthodox uh, Judaism would hold that there is no instance that they can find that would legitimize um, same-sex relationships. In fact, um, uh, a few of the articles I read and some of the videos uh, basically just flat out said that it's 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 not even recognized as a, as a marriage. It's just it's it's simply not seen as that. 
uh, even though if there's a ceremony performed, even if you know there's all of these rituals gone through, it's not seen as a legitimate marriage because the Torah in no way would be okay with that. Um, and they point to the same verses that that Colby and Matthew say, well, that's just cultural, that's just contextual. Uh, Orthodox Judaism says, no, it's not contextual. Um, it, it actually means that a man shall not lay with a man. And then they also take that into, um, into lesbianism in which if, if a man shall not lay with a man, the logical conclusion is a woman wouldn't lay with a woman. Um, and both Colby and Matthew completely overlook that. Now, of course, Colby and Matthew are not the only theologians and or pastors uh, promoting this view. We have entire denominations that have come to the conclusion that it's not, homosexuality isn't a sin. And when you move along that line, obviously certain things happen um, within um, those denominations in which in those, in those whole lines of thought. Now, it cannot be understated how much of a dividing line this particular topic is within the church. Um, where you fall on this line is going to determine a lot about um, your process of thinking about sin, about thinking about what God can do, uh, what sins can be overcome. All of that is a huge dividing line in this conversation um, because you're going to either fall on the side, for example, that uh, Matthew Vines and Colby Martin fall on, or you're going to fall on the side that Christopher Ewan or Jackie Hill Perry fall on. Uh, and these are two distinctively different sides. Uh, on Matthew and Colby's side, you're going you're gonna to either fall and say that, well, these verses aren't talking about the type of homosexuality that we see today. They're talking about a distinctively different type of homosexuality. Uh, and th this particularly different type of homosexuality is a monogamous, uh, lifelong relationship between people of the same sex. And it's not like you can change your orientation. It's not like this is ever changing. Um, and that's kind of, that's where they land. Uh, and they don't see homosexuality as a sin at all. Um, in fact, they see a lot of the verses you see in the Old Testament or even the New Testament as more of power dynamic, power structure uh, issues and not sexual issues at all. Uh, or you'll fall on the sign that Christopher Ewan fell on or Jack Hill Perry fall on, which is that um, God can change the very orientation and nature of a person. Uh, this does not mean that they may not have uh, you know, same-sex attraction still. It does mean, though, that you put that under the blood of Christ and you submit everything to Christ and then submit to follow him even through uh, the times in which you may still kind of have this thought in your head of same-sex attraction. Uh, in uh, one of the other differences that I think is important to note here, even though it's not necessarily uh, a big part of my notes or even a big part of this video, is that both Colby and Matthew see, in particular Matthew, sees um, singleness uh, within one's life, if they're same-sex attracted, for example, to, to tell them to be single, single forever as like this prison sentence, it's this death sentence, it's just the, one of the most horrible things that could happen to a person. Uh, whereas Christopher and Jackie would both say, mainly Christopher in this regard, would say that actually there's a lot that uh, uh, a same-sex attracted Christian can do in that singleness when they put that under submission to Christ and actually live in such a way 
uh, to glorify God in their singleness. So though it's not necessarily a huge point in my notes here, it is something to note that that, that also seems to be a part of a, a pretty big part of that conversation in submitting oneself to Christ and what that looks like uh, in regards to living out singleness. Now, whenever we talk about um, this being a dividing line, it is one of those things that will um, split a church. It definitely will. And when we talk about it, we have to talk about it in regards to, okay, well, how do we see sin? And what do we see uh, the power of God being able to do? These are both questions that have to be answered. So the first question, do we see homosexuality as a sin? The big difference between both Matthew and Colby's books versus Christopher and Jackie's books is that um, Christopher and Jackie take a holistic view of Scripture. Neither Christopher or Jackie, and, and I was surprised by this, but I was very pleased by this, don't go after the verses about homosexuality and try to prove that they actually mean homosexuality in regards to how we would understand it now. Um, though both of them are great uh, theologians, though both of them uh, know all of those passages and have studied all those passages, they both choose to look at the overarching picture of the Bible in which God has set forth what it is to be man, what it is to be woman, and what it means to submit oneself to Christ and live out our lives, despite whatever our sin is, in submission to Christ. Whereas Matthew and Colby both uh, try to prove, and I think they both do this in response to other people, you know, saying that these verses mean homosexuality as we would understand it today. They both go after the verses and try to prove that they don't actually mean that while they ignore the very thing that Jackie and Christopher focus on, which is the overarching picture that we see within scripture about uh, not only homosexuality, but sexuality in general. Christopher, in his book, Holy Sexuality in the Gospel, does this better than any, any book that I've ever read or any, any sermon I've ever heard on this topic. Christopher actually zooms out, and it's not just about homosexuality for him. It's about sexuality in general um, and about how the church really has a, a poor understanding of sexuality, how we've taught it. Uh, how we address it. In fact, he does have some pretty strong words about how the church has focused in on homosexuality and completely, uh, almost completely ignored uh, other things like um, other sexual things within the church, such as fornication or adultery or pornography, and says that we don't teach sexuality well. And then when we do talk about sexuality, we tend to focus in on homosexuality as it's the worst thing in the world. And this does create sort of a, a tension. It does create, not a sort of, it does create a tension between the church and the LGBTQ plus community because now we're, we're focusing in on one thing, their things in particular, and we're not addressing all of the other stuff, which just makes us hypocrites because we're not addressing this in a, in a scriptural fashion. I think Christopher does that so well in his book um, and not just dealing with one issue, but all of the issues that the church has in regards to sexuality. Now, when we look at this, uh, going back to the dividing line and kind of how your church or you are going to fall on one or the other sides, um, at the end of the day, you have to kind of pick which side of the line you're going to be on. And all of that comes down to is how you see sin and how you see the power of God interacting in a person's life to, to overcome sin. So if homosexuality for you isn't a sin, I think 
again, you have to answer a ton of questions about the verses in the Bible, as well as God's overarching uh, story in the Bible. Um, questions that I think Colby and Matthew try to address, but fall pretty short of doing. Uh, but if you're going to say it's not a sin, you're going to have to deal with those verses as well as the overarching picture to come to the conclusion that it's not a sin. Uh, you can't just, as, as a believer, say, well, you're born this way, so therefore you have to stay this way. Because what we see in Genesis 3, for example, is that there's a lot of people born a lot of different ways that have a lot of different proclivities in their life, a lot of uh, leaning towards certain sins. And just because you have those proclivities and just because you're locked into that or feel like you're locked into that doesn't mean that, that God can't overcome those things. Um, now, I know what I'm about to say is going to aggravate some people, but here's just the reality of it. There are people that are born um, that are very much leaning toward alcoholism. In fact, uh, the way they speak of alcoholism is exactly how I've heard people talk about their view. They're their, their, um, their leaning toward homosexuality, like their feelings toward the same sex. Uh, the same language is used as far as um, the desire to have this thing, the want to, 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 to do this thing. And um, the same sort of uh, the same sort of pool and the same sort of passion toward that. Um, I've heard the same sort of language used by those that are addicted to pornography as those that have same sex attracted in regards to like it just is this 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 feeling, this emotion, this pool, this urge that you just don't think can be overcome. And therefore you you give into it. You just say, well, this is a part of my life. This is a part of who I am. Um, and both Christopher and Jackie in their respective books do a great job of speaking to that very thing, that very nature inside of them. In fact, Jackie's book is incredibly honest, incredibly transparent in how she talks about the, the process of sanctification in her life to where, um, where right after she got saved, there was this very evident pull between her to, to, to still want to pursue women, but knowing that there was a change happening inside of her uh, that God was doing that, that had changed her, her proclivity, her nature to actually pursue those sorts of things. Um, even in recent interviews that Jackie's done, she says that she has to be very open and very transparent to her husband when she maybe has a dream about her ex-girlfriend or maybe has a dream about another woman, that she has to confess that. She has to verbalize that to him, that the process of sanctification is still happening in this regard. Uh, Christopher in his book talks a bit about it, but Jackie does like an amazing job of being so transparent about the process of sanctification in her life in regards to her sexuality um, that it was refreshing to see. Because I think oftentimes, going back to how the church has dealt poorly with this, I think oftentimes the church in the past and even now expects people to like, it's like a snap of a finger, like a flip of a switch, like, oh, you just are not attracted to those people, the same sex anymore, now that you're Christian. And Jackie does a really good job of demonstrating how sanctification works, not just in a believer that is same-sex attracted, but in a believer that that has any proclivity to sin, whatever that sin was, whether it be like we talked about before, alcoholism, or whether it be pornography, um, whatever that proclivity is, sanctification is this process of us continually submitting ourselves to Christ to follow him. And, and that's where this conversation is always going to start with, uh, whether it be denominations or local churches or us personally, we have to come to 
an understanding of what we know sin to be and then say, what is God capable of doing? And I think scripturally we see this fairly obvious, but though though people are going to say it's not obvious because clearly there's people that fall on the other side of the line than this than me. But what we see, especially in Christopher and Jackie's books, are is the truth of the gospel that we're all born with sin. In particular, in this video and in these books, we're talking about LGBTQ plus community, but um, we're all born with sin, and that sin has to be submitted to. Uh, it's submitted to Christ in order for us to follow him. So if we're going to be believers in Jesus, we're going to follow Jesus. We have to submit to his word, say, okay, this thing that I feel is such a part of me needs to be submitted to what he's clearly said about not only me as a sinner, but as what the what that sin looks like, and then to pursue him. Um, one of the clearest verses we see of this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, in which Paul goes through a laundry list of sins that those in Corinth dealt with and says, but you were, you were set free from this. You were washed in the blood. You were sanctified. You were justified. And one of those very things that Paul talks about is homosexuality. So we have to look at that and say, okay, well, what is sin and how powerful is God? What can God do in the life of a believer? And that we have to pair with the reality that that's going to be a struggle for people and that's going to be difficult for them and they're going to need people to walk alongside of them in that. And we're going to talk about that uh, here later as we get into the three actual things uh, that the church needs to change. So let's get into that now. So the first thing that I think the church needs to change in order to have a better conversation with the LGBTQ plus community is we need to do a much much better job of teaching on this on this topic. Now, what I mean by that is not just pointing to the passages that mention homosexuality, but doing what Jackie and Christopher do in demonstrating the whole picture of Scripture. That we're not just dealing with one person's sexuality; we're actually dealing with a with an issue much deeper than that. Uh, that's at the root of that. Both Jackie and Christopher do a great job of mentioning that. As the church, we're not trying to make gay people straight. We're not trying to make the LGBTQ community straight. That's not, that should not be the end goal. The end goal as believers toward anyone that is outside Christ is to say, you have a sin problem and you need Jesus to fix that sin problem. Um, Jackie and Christopher both do a wonderful job of saying, look, this is not about turning gay people straight. This is about turning sinners into saints. This is about pointing people to Jesus. Now, what I think is really beautiful about that, and I think why this needs to be on the top of the list, uh, the first thing we need to change is how we communicate the whole story of Scripture. We're not just looking at particular passages. Though those passages will come up, what we're looking at is God's overarching plan for humanity and as men and as women and how we fit into that picture. And what it really does mean, and this is why I mentioned before, the dividing line here is the first question that you're going to have to come to a conclusion on of what is sin? Now that goes all the way back to there's going to be some people that just say, well, sin's not a thing. And you're, <laughs> you're way outside of this conversation if that's where you, where you land, if you don't think sin's a thing. You're not going to understand anything I've said in this video, and you're definitely not going to agree with anything I say from here on out. But we have to come to a conclusion of what is sin. And if we do a much better job of not just teaching on particular passages, but for teaching on God's overarching plan for humanity, 
we are going to be able to address not only the topic of uh, homosexuality, but the topic of everything else. Because again, we're not pointing toward a particular sin in your life. We're talking about the fact that you are a sinner and you do need Jesus. And that's going to come out in a variety of different ways. Just because you take care of the greed issue, there's probably something else that God's working on you that you don't even know that you have inside of you. Uh, just because we, you know, take care or we even start just start addressing the sexuality issue, there's things deeper than that um, that are going to come up that you're going to need to talk about. Again, pointing back to these books, Jackie Hill Perry's book, does a great job of demonstrating this and looking at that. Now, one of the things that I do want to mention that I know is going to ruffle some feathers here, and it's not, I'm not saying this to ruffle feathers, but I think it has to be talked about. This conversation in talking about the overarching uh, view of, of sexuality, of how God has made men and women, is going to be exponentially harder for you as an individual or you as a local church if you are engaged in the egalitarian position. And when I'm speaking of egalitarian here, I mean egalitarianism, which states that uh, there's equal, uh, there's equalness and authority and responsibility between genders. Uh, at its worst, egalitarianism barely makes any distinction between men and women uh, in regards to basically the only, dis the only distinction is that, uh, you know, that women have babies and men don't. Now, again, that's, that's a, a, a straw man argument in regard. I understand that, but that is, that is, that is it at its worst. Um, basically is just saying that there's equality in all responsibilities, equality in all authority, and there's no difference really between men and women. Um, this is going to be much easier to address if we come at it from uh, a complementarian standpoint, which is stating that there is distinctions in authority. There is distinctions in leadership. There are things that are distinctively different between men and women. Even though we have equal value and equal worth, there are things that God made men to do, and there are things that God made women to do. And when that's worked out, as we see in scripture, because again, complementarianism can gone wrong, can be absolutely terrible. But when we, when we look at it from a scriptural point of view and we see that there are distinctive differences, both in authority and ability and, and how we do things, um, the position of saying that God has made us distinctively different, this is why um, we are made the way we are then the, the argument and the, um, the topic of why homosexuality is a sin, why it's outside of God's plan, is a much easier conversation to have because now we're not arguing authority, we're arguing design. We're arguing, you know, th this is how God designed men and women to operate, and this is what it looks to be a man. This is what it looks like to be a woman. So, um, just as a side note there, <laughs> throw that in, that I think if we teach with a scriptural understanding that men and women are designed by God, distinctively different, that we have equal worth and value, we're made to do different things uh, and complement one, one another in those things, and we teach that well, um, we're going to be able to have a little bit better of a conversation uh, in regards to LGBTQ plus and with those within the LGBTQ plus community. Now, the one thing I would kind of throw on there that I think Christopher does a really good job of in his book, and he actually seems to do it a bit of in reaction to Matthew Vines and his bringing this up in his book, but the church does a pretty poor job of talking about singleness and what it looks like to be single. 
Um, Jackie brings this up in hers as well a bit, but the idea is we almost make it seem like marriage is the goal here, right? So if we are going to turn gay people straight, then when we get them straight, we've got to marry them. That's kind of her, that's her point. Like when we, when we set that up as sort of the pathway, we, we completely bypass the gospel and we make it a, we need to make you straight. And when we make you straight, we need to get you married. And both Christopher and Jackie basically set up, a, I think, a, a wonderful argument against Matthew Vines's point that singleness is this horrible thing that just no one should be burdened with. Um, and they both set it up and, and point to scripture, whereas it can actually be this incredibly beneficiary thing for the kingdom. It can actually be a wonderful witness of what God can do in a person's life and how his kingdom can be advanced through uh, this person that has submitted themselves to Christ and has chosen to live out this life of singleness for Christ's glory to demonstrate what Jesus can do in a person. So that's just sort of attack on there. So the first thing I think we need to change is teaching about it better holistically not just individually with verses but holistically demonstrating how god has made men and women differently and what that means at its core as we define sin and as we define what god is capable to do in an individual's life the second thing is that i think we need to be welcoming to all but we need to explain what we mean by welcoming to all because as soon as I say that a church needs to be welcoming to all, I already can hear the comments saying, yeah, welcoming to all, but not inclusive. The biggest fight, really, it's not even a discussion. The biggest fight on this topic is that churches will welcome in those that are same-sex attracted, but they won't let those that are same-sex attracted into leadership positions within the church or even voluntary positions within the church. So when we start talking about, as a church, when to, to, to an attempt to improve this conversation or at least make our position clearer, what we need to do is make sure we're welcoming to all and explaining what we mean by that. One of the best ways to do that is good church policy. There's lots of churches, especially with the church planning movement and the non-denominational idea of church planning coming up, that most churches just have bad church policy. They haven't outlined what it means to be a member. They haven't outlined what members can do versus what non-members can do. Because lots of, and I understand this position, but lots of you know church plants or new church plants or non-denominational churches say that, well, we don't have this structure in the, in, in the early church. There's, we see people coming in, and then we see people's lives being changed, and then we see people participating and going out. And that's true. But what we ignore is that they, the early church, they seemed to have, though it was very loose, this understanding of who Jesus was and what that meant in a person's life. And we even have Paul, for example, along with a few of the other uh, early uh, New Testament writers, writing to churches saying, this is how church should be done. This is what it looks like to be an elder. This is what it looks like to lead. This is what it looks like to have someone's life change. Like there's fruits in this. This is how you can sort of identify those fruits. So as to clarify what you know a, a believer looked like and what a believer was able to do and what they were able to participate in and church policy effectively does that for us now what i mean by that is that a membership covenant is a good thing for a church to have to clarify what we mean all are welcome here um because if you don't have a clear church policy that says okay if you're going to be a member of this church 
this is what this means. You agree that you believe this, you believe this, you believe this about whether about salvation, about sexuality, about life, about the gospel, about what evangelism is. And if you become a member of this church, you're, you're agreeing to these things that we have set forth as our church policy, as our church doctrine. Now, alongside of that, obviously, please, for the love of God, if you have uh, church membership policies, you should have church membership classes where you actually sit down and walk people through the reasons why your church believes the things you do, holds to the things you do, and offers them to ask questions to clarify why you believe those things so that when somebody becomes a member and they say, yeah, I'm a member, I agree with everything this church preaches, everything this church says in regards to these sets of documents, then they can go into leadership positions and serve in those positions um, so as to say, no, I am in alignment to all of these things. And you're putting your, when you, when you sign a membership covenant, what you're doing is you're putting yourself under the, uh, under church discipline, under ch church authority to say that if I step outside of these bounds, then you, I, I agree that you're allowed to tell me that I'm not able to participate in this volunteer opportunity or this leadership opportunity anymore because I've stepped outside of what this church holds to be its core values and belief systems. And if you set that up, it's gonna, it's gonna help be clear to those that come in from day one that you are, you're welcome here regardless of what you believe, uh, regardless of how you live your life. But if you're going to participate and become a member of this community, this is what it looks to, this is what it looks like to participate in this community. Uh, and this, this, uh, this helps the church um, be firm in its teaching. It helps it be clear in what it believes, and it, it helps it not be divided by divisive ideas that might come in to split the church later, because there's a clear policy that says all are welcome, and all are you, you, you can come and you can worship, you can uh, participate, you can do all of these things, but leadership and voluntary opportunities are held off for members that say, no, we believe these things because volunteers and leadership positions are going to be teaching children, they're going to be uh, doing things from the stage, they're going to be voices for the church. And if you allow just anybody to do that that does not hold to the church's belief systems, you're opening yourself up um, for people to say, well, you kicked this person out from a leadership or volunteer position, but not this person. So you're saying this sin is worse than this sin. And this is why church policy, if it's written really well uh, and scripturally, most importantly, you'll be able to say, well, you are a compulsive liar and you're not, therefore you're not allowed to be a member. Now, I think it's important to note here Church policy is not meant to say everybody that's a member of this church is perfect. Rather, it is written in such a way to clarify that everyone that is a member of this church, that has went through membership class, that is a, 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 member, a member of this church, has said that I am putting everything about me under submission to Scripture and under submission to Christ so as to go forth in a discipleship uh, with people, with other believers within this community, um, under the scriptural authority of the scriptures and for the elders that have been put above me to keep me in check to this as we keep them in check to this as well so that we can all go forward glorifying Christ being under submission of scripture because this church believes this about sexuality. This church believes this about adultery. This, is, this church believes this about uh, greed. This church believes this about lying. And I know that seems like you're nitpicking, but you need to put those things forward so that it's clear. Um, I, 
I'm not saying this is going to heal any wounds um, that have already been um, given between the church and the LGBTQ plus community, but this will allow your church as well as the membership to have a clear understanding of not only what the church believes, but why it believes that so as to be able to have those conversations because there are going to be people that say, well, you say all people are welcome, but you won't let all people participate. And they'll be able to speak to the truth of the gospel that all people are welcome to hear the gospel. Please come hear the sermons. Please, you know, you know, view the worship, participate if you feel so led to do so. But this is what this church believes. And if you're going to be a member that participates in the body, that's what this means to do. And this is what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, often these documents, these membership documents are far too vague and far too short and don't actually explain anything about why the church believes what it does. Um, the third thing that the church should do, and that I think the church needs to change, is that within the church, uh, we should have a Christ-like heart when handling sin. Now, both Jackie and Christopher do a wonderful job of this in regards to homosexuality within their books. Now, the reason they do such a good job of this within their books is because they have been in the LGBTQ plus community. They know what it feels like to be within that community and to interact with the church. They know what it means for the church to, in some cases, in both of their instances, to, to not be kind or gracious toward them like Jesus is kind and gracious toward us. They both, though, do a really great job of giving examples of people that have the heart of Jesus that showed them that there was something better than their sin. As you read through both of their books, this comes up, and I think it's a great, I mean, it's an amazing uh, part of both of their books where you get to see believers that demonstrate the heart of Christ to both Christopher and Jackie and say, like, there's something better than this for you. Jesus is far better than this. Uh, for Christopher, it was actually his parents. Uh, his parents were not believers uh, at the beginning of his story, but they, through reading the scriptures, came to know Christ. And because they came to know Christ through reading scripture, and I've always said this, there's something different about people that come to know Christ through just reading the scripture versus like being through a denomination because you get like extra lenses and baggage sometimes through that process. But because they had come to know Jesus through the scriptures, when they interacted with Christopher and his boyfriends, they had a grace and mercy toward them. Even though they disagreed with what they were doing, they loved them despite that. Um, they, they loved them like Christ loves us. Christopher actually tells her, uh, just a really wonderful story about how he had brought one of his boyfriends over to their house for dinner and how the love that they showed him and his boyfriend was, it just floored him because he thought for sure that now that they were Christians, there was going to be this hatred toward him. In fact, he said before they became Christians, there was this hatred toward him. They were very disapproving. And though they were still disapproving after they became Christians, their attitude toward him had changed. In fact, it actually led, Christopher and this particular boyfriend, he says, broke up. But later on, this, this ex-boyfriend of Christopher's actually became a Christian 
because of the way that he had first interacted with Christopher's parents, it gave him a glimpse of what Jesus does in a, in a person's life. Um, and through that interaction, that was the first sort of seed that was planted that led this gentleman to become a believer um, later on and then putting his, his sin under the blood of Christ and pursuing Christ, uh, pursuing Christ for his life. And Christopher notes that as a point for him that was really pivotal as well in his life, that it was believers that, though he knew they didn't agree with what he was doing, approached him in a way that said, I love you like Christ loves me, and approached him with a Christ-like attitude. Now, I think the reason that oftentimes the, the church speaks so harshly toward the LGBTQ plus community is either because we've forgotten what Christ has saved us from. Um, like we've forgotten the dirt that he pulled us out of. Or in some regards, I think sometimes people that go to church that speak harshly of those within the LGBTQ plus community don't show forgiveness because they've just not been forgiven themselves. Like they know Christ in name, they've been to church lots of times, but they don't know what it means to be saved. They've not been saved. They've repeated a prayer, heard some sermons, but they don't know what forgiveness looks like, and therefore they can't show they can't show grace and forgiveness to other people. I think though it's my third point, it's probably the one that leads to the other two points. Because when we remember what we've been saved from, we're going to show grace and mercy to other people. Even when we disagree, we're going to pursue people like Christ pursues us. And that means that we're going to have some pretty difficult conversations because that goes back to my first point. We're going we're gonna to need to be able to speak to why we believe what we believe. We're going to need to be able to teach about it. We're going to need to be able to say, no, God has an overarching plan and this is sin and that goes against his plan. And we as as believers, if we say we follow Christ, we have to put that sin under the blood of Christ. We have to submit to his authority and follow after him, even when it's incredibly painful. And I think this is where us remembering what Christ has saved us from helps us then evangelize to other people. Jackie has this point in her book that is incredibly transparent, where she says that it was it was it was incredibly hard for her to break up for, with her girlfriend because she loved her. She wanted to be with her forever. And understanding that in order to follow Christ, she had to let that go for something better. And that something better was Jesus. And she didn't know what that was going to look like. And she didn't know how that was going to pan out. And even though it was incredibly painful, she knew that Jesus was better. And if you go the route that Vines and Colby go, what they're going to say to that is that, well, that's going to emotionally damage Jackie forever. That's going to, that's going to cause so much turmoil in Jackie that she, she might even go and commit suicide. And they're, they're going to say things like that, that, that are going to be like, that's why that position is wrong. Because, I mean, do you see how much pain and turmoil she's in? And that's why I appreciate Jackie putting that, that type of transparency in her book in which she says, yeah, this was hard. This was horrible. 
I mean, it was like letting a part of me go. But Jesus is better. And when we recall what we've been saved from, what Jesus has brought us out of, and how that was a painful process, how that was difficult, how that may still be difficult through the process of sanctification, we're going to be more apt to be gentle and merciful and gracious to those that we evangelize, whether that be those within the LGBTQ plus community or other, other communities. We're going to be a lot more gracious because we know what we've been saved from and we know what that looks like. But there's a part in Christopher's book in which I know I'm going to get this quote wrong, but he says like, he says, I heard from Christians all the time how bad hell was and how bad my sin was. But he said, I rarely heard from them how much better Jesus was. And that's why even when he tells his story about his parents and how his parents interacted with him, he saw that there was, there was something better about Jesus than what he was currently in. And that's what started to make him think about and be convinced that Jesus was better. And then we need to, after we start to you know, understand that uh, what Christ has saved us from and then go out and be able to teach well and explain well our position, then we're going to be able to, as the church interacts with the LGBT plus community, not only be welcoming to them, but also be able to explain where that line is within scripture that says, when, when someone comes to Christ, when someone wants to follow Christ, there's a change that happens. There, there are, there's, there's an enormous change, a change that by no other means could occur. And it may not be immediate. And that's why I'm so thankful for stories like Christopher's and Jackie's that demonstrate that it's not an easy process, but God is a big God. And he can do so much more than we can, we can imagine. So what this really comes down to and what, what you're going to have to decide is what is sin? We have the scriptures in order to assist us along the way of what God says is sin and what he demands to be done with that sin. And we can approach it like Colby and like Matthew do. And we can say, well, no, 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 that's not what these verses mean. Um, they meant something different than what we see now. And we can reason it away that way. We really can. Um, there are plenty of scholars. There are plenty of uh, people that have looked at the language. There are plenty of people that have done exegetical work on these passages that have come to the conclusion. And Kobe does a pretty convincing job in his book that will say, no, that's not what these verses mean. But to get there, you have to give up the overarching story of Scripture. You have to deny all of the other things that God clearly sets up within Scripture to get to the point where you say, no, that's not how God designed this thing. This is not how God designed man. This is not how God designed woman. You have to do a lot of other things outside of just those verses. Or you can say, we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And on this particular issue, along with a number of other, other issues within our lives, even when they feel so connected to who we are, 
we have to lay everything at the feet of Christ. We have to put everything under the blood of Jesus. And a Christian's life is the pursuit of Jesus as we continually put all of our rebellion at his feet in pursuit of him. All while recognizing that sanctification is a very long process. And one of the things, I guess, in addition here to my three points that the church can do to help the conversation with the LGBTQ plus community is understand that sanctification takes a long time. And that sanctification is really assisted by discipleship and clear biblical teaching. People coming alongside other people, living life out, all under the submission and authority of Scripture, all pursuing Jesus for the glory of the gospel. There's nothing that escapes Jesus' change in our lives. Our attitudes towards money change, our attitudes towards relationships change, our attitudes toward our own sexuality changes. Christopher does a great job of expressing that in a holistic fashion. So what I would urge you to do is read these books. Obviously, I'm going to suggest that you definitely read Christopher and Jackie's books. I think they both do a phenomenal job of summing this whole thing up in a really understandable way. And then as we interact with people within the LGBTQ plus community, we're going to do so in two ways. The first is that as followers of Christ, we are going to interact with people that identify as LGBTQ plus and not Christian. Um, with those people, we, we're going to interact with them just as we would any other sinner in the world. Tell them to repent toward God and follow Jesus. And let the le rest of that work its way out through discipleship and sanctification. And then for those that would declare themselves to be LGBTQ plus and Christian, we're going to walk through the scripture with them. And we're going to walk through the discussions we've had in this video. What is sin? What does that look like? What does God demand we do with our sin? And there's going to be a third thing. And I think that's consistency. That we understand that if we're going to do that with those that say they're LGBTQ plus and Christian, we're going to do that with those that are greedy and Christian. We're going to do those that are sexually promiscuous and, and say they're Christian. We're going to do that with those that are bigoted and say they're Christian. We're going to do those do that same thing with those that are gossips and liars and say they're Christians. We're going to walk in discipleship with one another through Scripture, through discipleship, pointing people to Jesus, that we must submit all things to Christ as we follow him. And then sometimes there's going to be this really painful process in which if we, if we choose to continue in our sin, church discipline must happen. And this is like the super messy part, the part that nobody wants to talk about or do. But 
you can't claim to follow Christ and still hold on to your sin. And we see examples of this within the New Testament. Um, Jesus speaks about it. Paul definitely speaks about it. In which when one refuses to repent, there's a process of church discipline in which sin is approached, sin is asked to be repented of, evidence of is given for why this is sin, and the person can repent and come under church discipline, or they can be kicked out of the church. This isn't a, a great process. This isn't a process anybody wants to do, but this is a process that I think churches need to do. And it goes back to the church policy part of this video where we say, like, there's a reason we have church policy and church membership so that we can define what sin is and what must be done with sin. My hope is in doing this that um, really more than anything, this helps you kind of think through the process. I don't expect anyone to be like, oh, and some light bulb click on after watching this video and go, I definitely agree with you. What I hope this does is to provide you with some sort of framework to think through the process in a way that defines sin and then what you do with that sin. Matthew Vines and Colby Martin have one way of handling this. I think it's the wrong way. Christopher Yuan and Jackie Hill Perry have a different way of dealing with it. And I think they have far more scriptural evidence for why that's the biblical way to go about it than Colby or Matthew. In the end of the day, like you, you're gonna have to decide. But I think, I think Christopher and Jackie's books provide wonderful stories of what redemption looks like in a person's life that are open and transparent and honest about it and are much needed in the church today because you're going to have to have this conversation and you're going to need a framework and tools to work through it in a scriptural way. And hopefully this video has provided you like one more tool in your toolbox in which to work through it or at least consider it. If you found this helpful, guys, make sure you like it, you share. If you have any comments about any point of this video that maybe weren't super clear, comment below. I'm hoping this has been helpful to you and a good use of an hour um, because reading all four of these books was incredibly helpful to give me words to put to what I already thought, but to work through it in a very generous and gracious manner, reminding me what I often need to be reminded of is that we're all sinners in need of a savior and that savior's name is Jesus. I'll talk to you guys later.